Happy Thanksgiving, Rob. Would you uh, please add some ambiance here, if you would, please? The crunch of fallen autumn leaves crackling the fireplace. Your aunts and uncles sipping on a hot cider. Uh, sports holiday SMR. The show keeps growing. Today is a celebration of dead birds, of foods you only eat once a year for some reason, and of taking time to reflect on the things that are important in our all too short lives, like how today's festivities are built on a history of genocide, racism, and deceit. That's not up for debate. It's the truth. But it does give us a moment, a brief respite from the never-ending clutch of capitalism that dominates our waking days, even our sleepless nights. But today is also about gratitude, about capturing special moments, which is why today we're bringing you back to the photography wing of the first ballot hall of fame. Welcome to First Ballot, the podcast that celebrates the moments in sports that really matter and inducts them into the First Ballot Hall of Fame. If they're good enough, we only put the best moments in our hall. I'm your host, Neil, the long-lost Gasol brother. The podcast, Jordan Clarkson, half Filipino, half the Jewish, half of Jordan Farmar. I'm not the biggest Lakers fan. I am the best Lakers fan. Mr. Not Always Right, but Never Ever Wrong. The five-star recruit, the four-star podcast host, the three-star guy person in general coming to you live from the shaquille o'neal office depot big and tall executive suite desk chair in my basement the first ballot hall of fame podcast is brought to you by ball is life and the ball is life podcast network make sure you're following the team at ball is life at ball is life on all platforms and check out the rest of the shows they offer on the ball is life podcast network support them please because they support your boy today's episode of the first ballot podcast could be sponsored by tattoos what are tattoos anymore it used to be this like countercultural thing because you were putting a panther on your shoulder and like the paw comes out and it's just below like your short sleeve if you're in short sleeve shirts and everybody can see it that's a tattoo of a guy i knew in high school got that on his shoulder that, that was a thing it was like whoa this is dangerous this guy got a fucking black panther on his arm i, I don't get it though anymore what is a tattoo? Because you can you can have it removed now. So what is a tattoo? It's not a thing that's going to be there forever. What is a tattoo? You can use a laser. They like shoot the laser into your skin and they like burn out the ink or something. I don't even know. But then the tattoo is gone. So what is a tattoo? Why do people still get them? Why don't you just draw some shit on your arm? I don't even get it. Tattoos are ruined. I have no tattoos. I wouldn't dare. But I think I've just leveled the tattoo business, what I've done here on this podcast. If the tattoo industry is feeling the crush from what I've just done, I'm willing to let you sponsor my show, Tattoo Industry. Hit me up. You know, we had a guest on last year during season one of First Ballot, pre-Ball's Life uh, First Ballot, the dark ages of the show. I was super excited to have him on. I, you know, here's let me tell a quick story about this. When I'm producing an episode, I imagine that the guest will be bad. 
And so I'll write a ton of questions and I'll go, let me ask all these questions. Let me have them all at my fingertips so that when we get into the episode, if I need something, I can go to, I can, I can ask more questions. I can get more answers. Then I can just cut out the bad ones. And then the audience hears the good answers and everything's great. As I recorded the first episode with our guest today, I realized, oh my God, I want to hear this guy say everything. I don't want to cut anything. And then at the end of the episode, I had all these unasked questions and you can hear me during the episode go, oh, I had so much more I have to ask you, but I got to move forward. And the guest says during the recording, I'll come back on. And immediately, this is the truth, immediately while we're recording, I think to myself, what a great episode of this podcast marred by the fact that our guest is clearly a bold-faced liar. This man is lying. He's never coming back on this show. It's never going to happen. I'm never going to get to ask these questions. And here he is today. I'm so excited to have him back. His photographic career has spanned over 40 years. His work has been seen and is beloved all over the world. Truly a global impact. He's the first ever official photographer of the NBA. He's been the team photographer for the Lakers, Dodgers, Kings, and Clippers. Let's be honest, the Lakers are the only team that matters. And he's the host of the Legends of Sport podcast. On top of all of this, he's a Naismith Hall of Famer. But more importantly, he is a First Ballot Podcast Hall of Famer. He has three images that hang in the First Ballot Hall of Fame. That's even bigger. This man goes viral every goddamn night in the NBA season. You know his work. You love it. It's the wonderful, the thoughtful, Mr. Andrew Bernstein. Thank you for coming back on the show. Hey, Neil. I'm back, man. He's back. <laughs> I thought for certain you were lying to me. Why, do I, why are you back here? Don't you have work tonight? Why are you talking to me? Shouldn't you be taking a picture of someone? Well, you know, I don't work during the day at all. I just hang out, you know, and just walk the dog, go to the pool, whatever. No, 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 no. I, I'm happy to be here back with you, Neil. I, um, we had such a great conversation the first time. I felt like we left some loose ends. So, you know, let's let's get at awesome. it, man. Uh, that means a lot. Uh, do you have a game tonight? I do not. The Lakers are actually home tonight. Fantastic. I'm doing about every third Laker and Clipper home game Got this it. year. Um, I have a bunch of travel on my early schedule, so we, my boss and I at the NBA kind of pacing me so I don't fall apart by All-Star Weekend. Yeah, they're load-managing <laughs> you. Exactly. <laughs> right? Uh, do you have any pregame routines or superstitions? Like how, When you prepare for a game, what is that like before a game that you are working on? Well, I try to get some more sleep the night before, honestly, yeah. if I can. Um, a lot of times I'll have a game on the road, then I'll have another game at home or back-to-back mm. -back games at home. I'm trying to avoid back-to-back -back games at home this season. Mm. Um, and then my daily routine stays the same. Um, Mondays and Wednesdays I go to the gym at 9 in the morning. Tuesdays I do yoga. Um, Thursdays is another sort of uh, self-care day. Mm. Um, the weekends I try to either spend time with my daughter and my wife or just kind of doing stuff around the house or we go up to our cabin up in the, in the woods. Um, I've learned that I have to take care of my body and mm -hmm. my sleep mm -hmm. and so that my work doesn't suffer. Mm -hmm. um, you know, not a spring chicken anymore, my friend. I used to do like five, literally five or six games on a weekend God. between hockey, basketball, college football, and NFL football, but those mm. days are over. <laughs> and then and then when I'm on the road, I have a routine, actually. Um, I, I eat lunch exactly at the same time, 1130, 
Fascinating. every day when I'm on the road. I lay my clothes out in a certain way. I mean, it's very, um, it's a little OCD, but it's what I do. Yeah. And I get dressed in a certain way and I leave the hotel at a certain time, you know, depending on game time. Usually it's about a minimum six or seven hours before game time. Mm. So it's a very long day when I'm on the road. How do you stay fresh in between? Like, let's say, um, back on that weekend when you're, you know, shooting five or six games, how do you sort of stay fresh? Because if, I mean, I'm projecting here, I'm not a, uh, photographer by any stretch nor am i a world famous photographer but as i you know in my line of work long days you start to you know it starts to wear on your brain it's and and when you need to be creative when you need to act in a live moment you want to be fresh how do you stay fresh during how did you stay fresh during long stretches of games well, I, I I come from a long line of people who had a high metabolism mm. and required little sleep, mm. um, and I was always pushing myself. I was always uh, I was always on to the next game, next challenge, next road trip, next whatever I had to do, assignment. Um, as I got older, I realized that you know that the engine was going to start breaking down pretty soon, you know, if I didn't sort of pace myself a little bit more, pick and choose, um, put some things on the back burner. Like I used to do a lot of hockey games. I used to shoot uh, every Kings home game. Right. Now I do, maybe I do six games the whole season. And I, I uh, farm that out to the guys, you know, that work for me. Um, and my clients are happy because, you know, they're able to get me when they do, but they also know that I'm going to be sending a photographer who, can produce at a very high level right so there's a lot of pressure off of me personally at that to you know be the guy who's always there at every yeah, yeah, single yeah. game right um but you know look i've been doing this 40 this is now 45 years i've been a professional photographer my 43rd year with the nba um and uh i want to you know i want to have a few more years left so i have to kind of figure out you know what is the best way to pace myself and my like i said earlier my boss at the nba has been very receptive and very willing to uh take me as much as he can get me i guess you mentioned um photographers that work with you work with your company how what's that how does someone how does one become a photographer that works with your company what is the is there a um, interview process you're obviously you're looking at their work how does one get to that spot well, I, I have one photographer, Juan Ocampo, who has been working with me well over 30 years. I'm mm. not exactly sure how many. Juan is, is a unique guy. Um, <laughs> he's basically like, you know, around my age, um, but still acts like he's about 27. Mm. Um, he can shoot a couple of things, three things a day, uh, six, seven days a week. I don't know how he does it. I share him, quite frankly, with John Suhu, my dear friend, who was my um, first assistant and then became the Dodgers team photographer and has been the Dodgers team photographer now for 37 years, I think, after I left. Um, so John gets Juan basically during baseball season, mm -hmm. <laughs> and I get Juan during hockey and basketball season. Amazing. And it's a it's a great marriage um, between all of us because uh, we're all sort of helping each other. But in terms of young photographers, you know, there's a lot of uh, young photographers that obviously seek me out and cross my path. And one of my my jobs at the NBA, quite frankly, is helping to mentor the next generation right. um, because I truly want to push the craft forward and to continue 
giving back in the way that that it was pushed forward with me with people like Neil Leifer and right. the great sports illustrated photographers that that I worked under um so you know there's some criteria there i mean the person has to has to definitely have some kind of eye has to have some a little bit of a style that's starting to develop a little bit of a style even as a young photographer because there's so many people out there now who you know think they're professional photographers right. that could compete as a professional photographer but there's you know myself and all of us have been doing this a long time we can tell by looking at somebody's work if they even if they have just like the the seeds of a, a, mm -hmm. a, a great career coming or any kind of career um <clears throat> and um you know persistence is helpful but not being a pest mm -hmm. um somebody who is uh you know, it stays in my inbox, mm -hmm. um, texts me every once in a while. Um, that, that usually catches my eye. Hey, Andy, take a look at what I shot last night right. or, or ask for a little bit of advice or that kind of thing. Um, you know, we're based in the LA area. So to work for us here in LA is, um, you know, there's very few and far between opportunities, quite frankly, but we have, we as a group, um, my company Bernstein Associates, we've brought on three or four young photographers, a um, couple of women, young women who really showed promise very early. Mm -hmm. um, one, one woman, Bailey Holliver, was actually my intern at 16 years old, who is now, you know, in her early 20s out there shooting assignments for us, concerts and uh, marketing and sponsorship stuff. Do some edit. She does some editing for us. There's a little bit of a incremental sort of totem pole kind of um, way to build build up your career within our yeah, yeah. our organization and the way that we do things. Um, and when I feel confident that somebody um, can go out there and represent us um, at the highest level, then we give them the keys to the car and let them drive it. Oh, that's, it's got to be gratifying to be able to watch people who you've worked with go on and do their own thing and do it, you know, sort of under your shingle and your banner and you be able to be associated with them. That's gotta be gratifying to, to sort of help people. Oh, for sure. Them. Absolutely. It, it's like watching your own kids develop, yes, you know, right. and uh, I take a lot of pride in it. And I, I think there's three or four um, photographers uh, who are team photographers across all the landscape of sports. Well, maybe more than four or five who started with me as assistants. Amazing. You know, John Sue, I mentioned so, earlier, Robert Mora started with me as an assistant. He's been the longtime LA Galaxy photographer. Mm -hmm. Barry Gossage with the Phoenix Suns. Been, he's been the Phoenix Suns team photographer for 27 years. Amazing. And before that, he was with Orlando. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it's just crazy to think about. Garrett Elwood, one of the great uh, NBA photographers out there, has been now with the Denver Nuggets, got his first ring. Um, you know, I'm thrilled. I don't, I don't want you to bring that up. I don't want you to bring that to me. Please. <laughs> Sorry about that. I, I forgot who I was talking to, yeah, Neil. Yeah, please, if you could. <laughs> Follow the rules that we we set up before this record. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you mentioned edit work, post work. How much edit work do you do? Like, I, I, I uh, am a bit of a Photoshopper. I like Photoshop. Uh, as I think about, you know, shooting sports live, I, I presume you're not doing a ton of work on that stuff before it goes out. Cause it seems like it goes out right away these days. How much uh, post work are you doing on, on a basketball game versus, you know, uh, when you shoot a concert or something? Well, our, our work is, is purely editorial is mm. what we do. So there's editorial integrity built into that where we don't do any. Got it 
post-production work. We, we might, we might clean something up a little bit just in terms of, um, exposure. Um, you might crop something, Mm -hmm. but we're not doing any Photoshop whatsoever, not changing anything, altering anything, sticking anything in there that wasn't there (laughs) when it was shot. Um, my photography, my NBA photography is, uh, is basically live coverage Mm. of games. I mean, if you can think about, I'm sitting on the court, I have an ethernet wire that's connected to a high speed HSAN line that goes back to an editor in New Jersey, who's literally seeing what I shot in almost in real time. Unreal. Yeah. It comes up on, on their computer in, in New Jersey. It comes up on my digital text computer just off the court. And um, that editor in New Jersey is picking photos as, as they come in, mm-hmm. selecting them, mm-hmm. and then captioning them very quickly and shooting them off to Getty, who posts them. Amazing. So we like to think that within five minutes of game time that there will be maybe a dozen photos already oh out on Getty of game action in addition to what, what was shot during pregame. That's amazing to think about. Do you miss anything – you know, my, my understanding of sports photography, you know, I and I guess it uh, this is tied to the fact that I'm old enough to, you know, learn to shoot pictures on film. So, you know, I, you know, I think about you starting your career on film and now transitioning to this and how different the process must be. Is there anything you miss about shooting on film? I miss everything about shooting Fascinating. on film, except except for the waiting. Mm. <laughs> so. You know, back in the film days, we didn't know any different. Right. You know, we, we would shoot. Right. And then, of course, you would have to either, if you had a dark room on premises and you were shooting black and white, which we did for years and years and years with the Dodgers. Um, so I would shoot the first three innings, give the rolls of film to John. He would run them up to the dark room, develop them, mm. uh, make some prints and give them out to the media before the game ended. Mm. Um if it was color, of course, we'd have to put them in envelopes or bags and drop them off at the lab on the way home and go back the next morning and see them. Oh or or we might not ever see the film because the film would have to be FedExed right. back to the NBA office or Sports Illustrated or whoever. Sometimes the film would have to be taken that night to LAX, put on the latest flight out. Um, it's called the last flight out LFO <laughs> literally. Um, and it would go to New York where a courier would pick it up and bring it to the SI offices who would develop the film. And, and then the editors would be able to choose. And I, I would never see that film. I, I maybe, you know, months and months and months later. Unreal. So the instant gratification of, you know, literally being able to see what I just shot on a right. screen by pushing a button or have it, having it come up automatically is great, but I miss the tangible. I can hold up yeah. in my hand what yeah. I just shot. Yeah. You know, like I can hold up a negative. I can hold up a piece of film. Like I shot. I created this yes. tangible yeah. piece of photography. Right. We cannot do that with digital because, from what I understand, we cannot hold up ones and zeros. You know, <laughs> off of it, off of a CF card or something. You know, so that it. I I do miss it. I miss I miss the tactile feel of film i miss the depth of film mm. the beauty of looking at especially color slide film that shot under strobes indoors mm. this had this incredible like cinematic quality to it where digital can be a little bit like the difference between like film and video back yes, in the day right, you know yes. you could just tell the difference totally 
So look, this is the world we live in. I, I like to say I was the last guy to go kicking and screaming into the digital era, uh, which I probably was because I was still holding on to a couple of film cameras that I insisted I use, but now it's not practical. I mean, nobody, I'm sure. basically nobody develops film yeah, anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The, 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 you know, someone someone uh, on social media posted a thing that was like, I feel bad for all the Netflix kids that won't have the experience of, uh, you know, your brother runs to use the bathroom and you're jumping over the chair to, to, to jump and, to, to, and you yell at your brother, the show's about to start and he's got to come barreling down the stairs to make it to the TV show because it's going to be on. And you that excitement of doing that, it's the same sort of excitement of to, for me when I'd go to Kmart and go to the, the, the develop and you get that little pouch of pictures to open it up and look through. It's like it was a, the best part of my day when I would shoot, uh, you know, film as a kid and take pictures. It was just a blast. Uh, are you... So you described a little bit about the process and, you know, early on pictures taking that last flight out where there are you telling me there are moments in your career where pictures have made SI or they've been printed or it's like this thing is going to go. This thing is in Sports Illustrated. Or it's the cover of Sports Illustrated or it's a, you know, a big feature in Sports Illustrated. And you've not seen the picture up until the point that you see the magazine. Oh, absolutely. My uh. friend, I mean. One comes, a few come to mind, but one one specifically comes to mind, a great memory that will always stay with me, it was the 1985 finals, you know, Lakers against the Celtics. Um, the Lakers beat the Celtics for the first time yes. that any team had ever beaten the That's Celtics right. in Boston Garden for <laughs> yes. finals, but especially yes. the Lakers, right? <laughs> and at that time, Sports Illustrated would always assign their two best basketball mm. photographers to be on either side of the court, mm -hmm. shooting film, of course, mm -hmm. they're staff guys. And then they would do what's called pickup. They would pick up film, like literally take the film from myself or maybe Nat Butler, my cohort mm -hmm. um, from the East Coast, um, maybe the team photographer possibly. But, you know, it was almost like a backup to their a backup to the backup because these were like the masters of basketball photography, right. but just so that they would get another angle basically, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and it was kind of like a, a little bit of a favor to quite frankly, to the NBA, Hey, we're going to pick up Andy's film, you know, and everybody was happy about that. So meanwhile, fast forward, you know, I shoot the game, all the hoopla goes on in the locker room, everything. I end up bagging up all the film. I give it to the SI courier, Right. That's the last time I'm going to see this film. Right. Give it to this guy who has, you know, his courier bag. He's going to race, I think, on a motorcycle, probably the Logan <laughs> Airport in Boston. And the film is going to get flown back to New York. And uh, it was on a Sunday. The magazine closes on Monday. Right. And they have to like look through, you know, hundreds of rolls of film. They have to make decisions on, you know, really um, huge deadline. So. We had partied all night long in Boston that night. The, the team, I you bet. know, had a great had a great I night bet. in Boston. I bet. And the next morning, I remember we're we're all at Logan Airport. Everybody's basically wearing what they wore the night before. Nobody went to sleep. Everybody's hungover. And we're at the gate at Logan Airport, literally flying commercial because that's all we did in those days mm -hmm. from from Boston to Washington. Now, why are we going to Washington? We're going to Washington because we're going to see the president. Which no team does right now. Right, right they away. They go later. Right. Right. They go the next year when they Ugh. play in Washington. So we're going to make a pit stop in Washington on the way back to L.A. <laughs> right. Imagine all these hug over guys, Ugh, myself, so everybody funny. else. 
And so, you know, we're at Logan Airport. Everybody's just sort of waiting for to get on this plane to D.C. And my pager, literally had a pager, went off. It was a 212 number. And I recognized the number because it was a Sports Illustrated number exchange. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, this cannot be good. Yeah. I mean, my film was blank. <laughs> right. Uh, oh. is that a focus? Uh, they lost my film. I mean, like every negative thing right. went through my head. And I, I found a payphone. This God's honest truth. There's a payphone like near the gate. I go to the payphone and I call as Eileen Miller, who's the basketball editor for SI and, uh, you know, in the photo department. And she says, uh, Hey Andy, um, I got something to tell you. And I'm like, Oh, this is going to be bad. <laughs> she said, uh, I had the pleasure of telling you that you have this week's cover photo. Oh, my God. And I said, Eileen, that's not even funny. <laughs> what are you talking about? No, she said, yeah. She said that uh, you you had a picture that the editors just really loved, and, and oh. we decided to run it as the cover. Oh, my God. And I just, like, lost my mind, and I hung up, and, and I turn around, and the Literally, the fir first person that I saw was Kareem. And she, Eileen had told me it was this really different kind of photo of Kareem. It's different because I was on the sideline. I was like foul line extended across yeah. from the bench, yeah. which, you know, nobody does anymore. Right, right, right. And anyway, it was a weird picture. It's of Kareem. First person I see when I hang up the phone is Kareem, right? And I go <laughs> over to him and I say, Cap, I got to tell you, you know, I got the cover of SI. I'm so excited. Uh, and, and it's a picture of you. And he's reading a book, Neil. And he looks up at me. He goes, that's great, kid. And he goes back to reading. <laughs> oh, and by great. that point, you know, Kareem, without exaggeration, probably had 30 covers yeah, of himself, sure. maybe 40. <laughs> you know? So then, of course, I called my dad. And I called my mom. And everybody was super happy. But it was just a funny moment. So I was like on cloud nine the whole rest of the day. You know, we go to Washington. They put us in the Rose Garden. It's like 110 degrees in Washington that day. We're all out there in suits, just, you know, a lot of alcohol seething out of our bodies, you know, oh <laughs> waiting for the gosh. president to show up. It was pretty, pretty crazy, but what pretty rewarding and, and an unbelievable memory. Oh, that's so great. And I love that the first person you share this like amazing work with is completely nonplussed about the whole thing because he's seen it all and done it all. That's fantastic. An amazing yeah. story. Uh, as team photographer, do you get a ring? Well, that's a great story. That's a great question. Um, according to the Lakers um, and the Dodgers, by the way, because in 88 I was with the Dodgers, oh, yes. um, the criteria for getting a ring was that you had to be a payrolled employee. You had to be like on the payroll, which as, as a photographer, I was not on the payroll for either team. Mm. I was a freelancer or a contractor. Right. Um, on the, in the NBA side, I was actually working for the NBA as a, at that point as a contractor. So the answer to that was no. However, when we got to the the Laker three-peat with Shaq and Kobe, mm -hmm. um, the first year, Jeannie, was, Jeannie Buss was very generous and gave rings to people like myself who oh my were not, you know, God. technically on the payroll. And then oh. the, second, the second year did not get one. The third year, I have to be honest with you, Shaq was so ticked off that people like me, you know, there were a bunch of us, there were probably 25 <laughs> of us, didn't get a ring that he bought a ring, oh a, a personalized ring for God. every one of us. Is yeah. that true? Yeah. 
yep, yep. It's true. The 2002 ring, it was incredible. So, you oh know, it just tells you how wonderful he is. story. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. That's lovely. That's amazing. I love stuff like that. That's <laughs> yeah, funny, funny. Another another funny part of this is that this this past Dodger season, they had a a um, an eighty eight replica ring night. Uh-uh. This is this is a true story. So I decide that I'm going to that game because I'm going to finally get my eighty eight ring. <laughs> you know, me and the fifty thousand other people. So John Su, who who also didn't get a ring because he was working for me at the time. We took pictures with the replica rig. He said, well, finally we got our rig. <laughs> Fantastic. Wait, do you ever wear your ring around like a real jerk and like wave it around in people's faces? You ever bang it against tables? Like you, I'd be a total – if anybody ever gives me a championship ring, I'll be going to be a complete unmitigated asshole when I wear it. I just want to be clear about that. Or do you ever wear it yeah, around? Do you ever you, get the chance? You know, I was, I was kind of um, ticking people off, I think, when I first got – the first ring yeah. and I was wearing it around and then now I, n- I never wear it except if I'm going to do something, do an interview uh, on TV or something that's Laker related, mm-hmm. for example, um, I got a 2012 Kings championship ring and I wasn't on staff with them either, but they were nice enough to give me a ring, not in Amazing. 14, but in 2012. Um, the ring I'm, I'm actually more proud of quite frankly is, is the Kurt Gowdy ring uh, yes. for, from the Basketball yes. Hall of Fame Amazing. for being a, uh, you know, a Kurt Gowdy Media Award winner. Um, super proud of that. It's a beautiful ring um, that I do wear. I don't say often, but I wear it uh, if it's going to get noticed. Let me put yes. it to you that uh, way. You know, if there's like a, yeah, if there's an event or uh, doing an interview on a stage or... I love it. I just want to impress people. Hell yeah. Let's go. (laughs) Uh, Do you want to record a pickup here, Andrew, where you say the ring you're most uh, proud of is your wedding ring just for your wife? Do you want to record that now or should we do that after? She's not going to listen to this, Neil. (laughs) How dare you? Maybe your wife's a huge fan of this show. You don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, I... I, I would I would venture to say that my the ring that I wear every day, of course, yeah. is my wedding ring. Um, <laughs> however, there is the other side of my my life and my brain, you know. That <laughs> so yeah. All right, let's move into the section of questions that I have been meaning to ask you, but I hadn't had the time. But here we are. Is there is there a player who is really into photography that you that that sort of treats it like art and wants to participate maybe they want to model they're into fashion they have creative ideas they talk to you before the game and sort of say i like to shoot in this spot so you know is there anybody that's like super into it yeah you know it's, it's funny that you mentioned that um because it just came across uh my Instagram feed the other day, Landry Shamit. Oh, used to play what a, I, I don't know what you're going to say, but the specificity of getting to Landry Shamit, I love it. All right, keep going. Landry Shamit, right? Um, really good guy. Got to know him at the Clippers. Then he went on to Phoenix. Now he's with Brooklyn, I believe. Um, he, he, I think his rep came to me last year or something and said, hey, Landry's really into photography. Mm. Would you mind talking to him or oh, something? And we chatted a little bit before one of the Suns Clippers games. And he sent me some stuff he was shooting. And then over the summer, I guess he bought some pretty high-end equipment, right? Um, he set up his his own, like, Instagram site that's, like, just his photography oh, stuff. Because they need to do with his basketball career or his family life or whatever. Uh, I think it's Landry Shamit uh, JPEG or JPG. 
Um, it's very cool. I mean, it's That's very, cool. very cool to see. And I've come across a few players like that over my career. There was a moment with Chris Paul, for example. We were, uh, I was with the Olympic team, and I believe we were in Barcelona or something, and we had to do a, a team photo and all kinds of stuff. And and Chris said, Andy, give me the camera. Let me turn the camera around on you. <laughs> yeah. And so there's a, there's a really funny picture of, of Chris in his uniform taking a picture of me in front of this like, Barcelona scenic site. It's kind of funny. Uh, Randy Johnson, Ken Griffey Jr., they're sort of working their way into sports photography. Have you seen their work? What do you think of it? Well, first of all, they're going where the real money is, right? <laughs> I mean, forget about like pitching or you know hitting balls or whatever. No. <laughs> I think, first of all, I haven't seen Ken Griffey's stuff. I, I saw that he did shoot, was it one of the one of the um, NLCS games or something? Or, did he? Um, recently. I saw that. But I've been following Randy Johnson, who, by the way, um, this is another kind of six degrees of separation. John Suhu, when I met him, was the photo editor of the Daily Trojan newspaper at USC, and Randy Johnson was one of his staff photographers, oh believe it or not. Oh, God, that's yeah. fantastic. So, you know, pay, play that forward like 40 years. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. yeah. So, look, I've seen Randy's stuff. It's pretty amazing. Um, he's very, very, very dedicated. Uh, I would love to actually talk to him on the podcast. So if he's listening uh, maybe we'll, maybe we'll get him on the legends of sport podcast that would be great you you mentioned legends of sport podcast if there's someone that's not already listening first off you should be listening but two what's a good episode for them to start with what's an episode that you've done on the legends of sport podcast that'll hook someone and get them to subscribe and then they're listening to every episode well the the episode i'd have to go to first neil would be the one that i did with kobe yes. uh, when our book came out <clears throat> So our book came out in, in October of 2018. I think we recorded this in like January or so of 2019. Went down to his office. He was incredibly gracious, as he always was. Um, gave me like an hour, and we had a great conversation. So I, I would go right to that one. We re-released that one a few times as yeah. a classic. We call it the LOS Classic. Um, that one was great. Uh, did one with Magic Johnson that we ended up uh, making into two parts. Mm. Because Magic was just so, so unbelievably, um, you know, Magic just has a story about everything. Yeah, and we have so much shared history. Um, another one that I'm super proud of and point to is, um, is, is the episode I did with Jerry West, mm. where we talked a lot about mental health and, yes. and, and his book that had come out, I believe in, I think his book came out in 2011 or something. Um, but how Jerry kind of, you know, opened up and, and led the way into into uh, athletes and mental health issues and was really not really honored at that time. You know, he was kind of just sort of looked aside and, and now there's so much attention on mental health and, and in athlete in athletics and across the board in society. Um, but we're going to be coming back strong with the podcast probably um, early 2024. Amazing. Uh, I, I think my folks were, pretty good i think my parents were pretty good parents i have to give them credit i <laughs> have grown up i'd say fairly confident i feel generally pretty good about myself and i would say i very rarely go i'm jealous of that person i think that's you know a credit to my folks you are someone i'm completely jealous of i wish i had your career <laughs> i'm part of me is secretly planning to destroy you and uh, uh just take over your life i just want you to be open about that because i do like you. 
Well, Neil, you know, I, I think we, we've had a, a great meeting of the minds, man, because <laughs> I, I love what you do. I love the energy you bring to well, your you. podcast, um, your enthusiasm. I mean, you do your research, which I can totally relate oh, I to. I appreciate that. Um, you know, you and I never met in person, so you rely on research. You, hopefully, you know, you have one or two people helping you with that, which I do as well. I find that half, literally half the fun of doing the podcast is the research. Yes. You know, whether it's a book that somebody wrote, mm -hmm. like Karan Butler, who I've known very, his whole career. I love the guy, but I didn't really know his story mm. till I read his book. Mm -hmm. And his, his book, Tough Juice, is just mind blowing, right? If anyone needs a book to read right yeah. now, wants to get inspired, you know, here's a guy whose life could have literally gone one way and went the other way. Um, and thank God it did because of what he's been able to, to do in the game and give back. Kobe called Karan his favorite teammate. Right. They only played together for a year. That's right. You know, so there's a reason for that. Anyway, I bring that up because I love doing the research, getting into, you know, what what motivated this person, who helped them, who mentored them, you know, where was where was that defining moment? Mm -hmm. You know, Kirk Gibson talked about how he was a two sport athlete at Michigan State. He was a he was a really good base, baseball player, but he was like a really good football player, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And his he was destined to go very early in the NFL draft. And his his college football coach calls him in the office and said, "Look, you can go, you know, football or baseball. I'm encouraging you to go with baseball because you'll have a longer career, right. <laughs> you know." <laughs> and that's you know, look what happened. You know, the best part about having you on the show is like my wife will come downstairs or she'll see me on my phone and I'm like flipping through your pictures because that's like, you know, I can call that work. I can call that research. My wife is like, oh, you look like you're hard at work on. Huh? I'm like, no, no, no. I swear <laughs> to God. I swear to God. I'm not just flipping through this, you know, mama mentality book. I'm working here. Do you see what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, you mentioned Team USA. You mentioned Chris Paul Team USA. What do you, you photograph the dream team? Yeah, the '92. Yes, team? yes, I, what, yeah. Describe mm -hmm. the energy behind that team. What was it like sh film shooting them? You know, going to the games, traveling with that team. Tell me about that experience. Well, it was the greatest assignment of all time oh to God. be embedded uh. with the dream team <laughs> for seven weeks. I mean, I was uh. you know Nat Butler and I you know, shared it a little bit, but I was the one guy embedded with them from day one oh. of training camp in San Diego through the tournament, tournament of the Americas in uh, Portland on to Monaco for training camp. Yes. And then of course the Olympic games in, in Barcelona. So it was, it was incredibly rewarding. Um, it was, it, it was, it was just an experience that, that if I could have retired after that, I probably would have and been very happy. Um, but it was kind of at the very beginnings of my career. And I just love being a fly on the wall. I right. love being uh, part of the furniture. I love being, you know, somebody who just is there to observe. And when these guys were together away from the public eye and in spotlight, they, um, you know, they let their guard down. Yeah. They were just guys. Yeah. And, a lot of lot of stuff going on, very competitive, but also a lot of fun to be around. And I got to see the practices, those legendary practices, Ugh. and travel on the plane and the bus and all that stuff with them. It was it was great. It was a fantastic experience. Um, I was able to do that again in uh, a few times in 2000 when we went to Sydney, um, and then to some extent in 2008 with the Redeem team, and uh, of course 2012 as well. 
Um, I, I'm not doing Olympics anymore, but I'm still doing training camp leading up to the Olympics. Got it. Uh, you you must have dream team. You must have uh, thousands and thousands of pictures of those guys playing cards against each other. What do you do with all the pictures that we don't know? Like, obviously, we know a lot of the famous pictures from the Dream Team, et cetera, and all, you know, of course, over the course of your entire career. But what about the pictures that we don't see? What do you do with all of them? <laughs> they're in the secret file. Oh, oh my God. Um, no, they, <laughs> uh, there, are, there are a few. Um, nothing, you know, risque or yeah, racy yeah, yeah. or anything. But, but you know, there are photos. I do have photos of the guys playing cards oh, on the man. plane. In oh, fact, man. funny story. We're on the short flight from Monaco to Barcelona uh, on a on a chartered flight. And um, <laughs> we you know, the guys are playing cards. The same four guys every every minute of every day are playing cards together. <laughs> and uh, the plane lands. I remember we, it, it was not the main airport in Barcelona. It was like more, more of the sort of private area of the airport. And you can see that the plane is landing. There's media there. There's, you know, there's, there's some fans there. It was like going to be a thing, you know. There's probably some dignitaries were waiting. And the plane, the plane is taxiing over. And I hear from the back, don't open the door. The game's not done. <laughs> <laughs> They're still playing. I don't know what game they were playing. But... <laughs> So we all had to wait until they finished whatever that game was and the money exchanged hands and they were ready to open the door. Fantastic. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, you mentioned like, you know, dignitaries waiting for the dream team. Of course you're around, uh, and, you know, the NBA players and in the back sort of tunnels is, you know, people are waiting for them. Have you ever been in a situation where you were like, whoa, like a little overwhelmed by the people that you're surrounded by, by the action that you're in the middle of? Are there any moments where you that you can remember where you're like, whoa, this is like heavy and I'm like in the middle of this thing taking pictures? Yeah, a couple of times, specifically with the Dream Team. I mean, the, first of all, we were in our own hotel, a small hotel in Barcelona, which the the USA basketball team took over the whole hotel. Um, so we had security 24 hours a day. There was security watching the buses and all that. But there were fans literally 24 hours a day outside the hotel mm -hmm. holding signs and jerseys and all that. And the, the guys, you know, wouldn't really leave the hotel because, it, you know, they would just get mobbed. Right. That was pretty crazy. And then um, we were invited to a state dinner by the uh, Prince of Monaco, oh. Prince Renier, because his son Albert, Prince Albert, uh, was a huge NBA fan, yeah, still is a big right. NBA fan. So he wanted to have the team come up. Oh, so this God. was like a crazy situation. Oh. You know, he's a bunch of basketball players and me, you know, and I brought my dad with me too, which, <laughs> oh, was, which was pretty insane. That's amazing. So that that was super cool. And then um, I remember the first time I went to China. Um, I'd been to China before, but the first time I went with Kobe. Oh, um, I bet. It, I bet. I'm pretty sure... I'm pretty sure it was a 2008 with the, with the Redeem team. And the the crush of humanity yes. was just beyond comprehension. Ugh. I mean, it's almost like God had landed, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh, my God. And, uh, I mean, even guys like LeBron and D. Wade, like, they just shook their head because they everyone was there to see the Mamba. Yeah. It was Ugh. just incredible. Oh, my gosh. Can we dig in a little bit on Kobe? What was it like to edit the mama mentality book obviously the, 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 i don't want to say the famous work it's one of the many famous things that you've done but the mama mentality book everybody loves it if you don't have it obviously check it out all your work 
What was it like to edit that book with him? Were you sitting down with him, showing him things? Was he going, you know what, move that one forward? Like, how involved was this guy? Famously, uh, lots of creative opinions from Colby. What was it like to work with him specifically? Well, he knew exactly what he wanted the book to look like. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had it in his head that the book was going to be divided into two parts, process and craft. <laughs> so process was everything about his mental and physical preparation. Yeah. Uh, how he took care of his body, his mind, his spirit, everything else. And then craft, of course, was basketball, yeah. was everything offense, defense, what he had to do to get to be who he was. Um, and so he he kind of left it up to to myself and the editor and the designer in terms of the look of the book, right? But he knew the content, exactly what he right. wanted to talk about. Yes. So, I mean, he, he keep in mind, you know, that half of Kobe's career happened pre-digital. Right. So it was in the film era. And I'm relying on, on some really great editors back at NBA Photos Office in New Jersey to, like, be able to locate precise moments that Kobe's actually talking about in the book, which he, if you have the book, you can see. And... Sometimes we would give him prints, eight by ten prints, and he would write on it, right. like what his train of thought was in Ugh. the moment or while he was looking at it. But yeah, that's there's a couple of stories. I mean, one specifically, I don't know if I told you this last time, but we're talking about um, in the in the craft part about defense, mm. right? And specifically, who would play him the hardest? Mm. Like in his career, who are the, like the four or five defensive nemesises that he had? No one could ever stop him, right. obviously. But who played him the toughest? And there were guys like Raja Bell mm -hmm. and Shane Battier. But we kind of settled on Bruce Bowen of the, of the Spurs yes. being like his number one God. nemesis, right? Bruce just knew how to play him. Yeah. Very smart guy yeah. like Kobe. And so we, we were just getting into the conversation. And, and Kobe's like, yeah, you know, remember that time? It was like the third quarter of game four of the 2001 <laughs> conference finals or whatever it was. And uh, I faked Bruce left. And I go right, and I dunked on his ass, he, and he looks right at me and goes, you have that picture, don't you? <laughs> it's like, it wasn't a question. It was like, you have that picture. Right. <laughs> and I'm thinking, mm, uh, okay. I've got to make a phone call now. I'm going to step out of the room. Um, but we found, I would say, Neil, I would comfortably say we found about 95% of the photos wow. that he needed to illustrate yes. what he had to say. Right. And to his credit, and I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it forever. You know, this was a book about about his vision, about what the Mamba mentality meant to him, what being the Black Mamba meant to him. Um, so it wasn't necessarily like a picture book of my favorite photos, right. or as he called them, beautiful photos right. of me, which is what he, he didn't want to have. Mm -hmm. um, but he was so gracious that he knew that there was like three or four I just had to have in the book. Mm. Like that had nothing to do with the mama mentality, had nothing to do with anything we had to say, but somehow they had to like get squeezed into the book somewhere, somehow. And, and it just shows you the, like how wonderful of a person he was. And, and as a collaborator and a co-author that he allowed me just to have, you know, those little moments in the book that meant a lot to me as well. That's great. Yeah, We, we, we all think of Kobe 
in our own way. Whoever is listening to this, you all have your memories, whether you are a Lakers fan and you're a good guy and you're a Lakers fan and you have all of these fantastic memories of this guy that we love cheering for, or you hated him in a, in a playful, joyful way that you hated this guy because he killed your team, whatever the case might be. We all have this memory of, of watching this player come up from a teenager or you remember 81 point game, whatever it is that you remember about Kobe. And then you probably progressed into watching him retire and move into film and the creative work, the books that he wrote, et cetera, et cetera. We all have our sort of story, but you knew him, you worked with him, you were tight with him. Do you have a moment, a story that sort of illustrates the dip, the gap, the the gigantic gap between my understanding of Kobe Bryant and your understanding of Kobe Bryant? Um, I don't know how much time we have, Neil, but there's been, there were so many, I mean, here's a guy who was able to center himself in the most, uh, chaotic mm. pressure filled moments that I, there's, there's a photo in the book. Actually, there's a moment where he's meditating deep in meditation during the national anthem of an NBA finals game. Mm. I mean, you imagine the pressure, everything going on, all the people in the arena, the anthem, it's, you know, it's going to end, the ball's going to go up, it's going to be this epic, you know, contest. And he's just centering himself. You know, there's a photo, one of my most famous photos, and it's in the book, of course, with he's just, you know, ensconced in ice, um, yes. willing himself to win, uh, to, not to win, to willing himself to go out and play, actually. Mm. And he's, he's icing his bad finger in a little coffee cup. It's a black and white photo. And my biggest fear was that the click of the shutter might actually right. distract him. Right. We were in this locker room, and there's actually a pretty busy locker room at the time in Madison Square Garden, and uh, that didn't even phase him. I mean, he never looked up. He never, never even acknowledged it. Um, I would, I would sometimes it would be just he and I and his trainer, his personal trainer, in let's say the L.A. Kings locker room, mm. and you know, which was of course empty on a Laker night. The Kings graciously allowed Kobe to use that as his own personal little training room. Amazing. And I was always very, very conscious of just not breaking his right. his train of thought or, you know, his moment. Um, but he, uh, <clears throat> honestly, there's only one time he ever asked me not to take a picture, honestly. Um, it was the, his last game, April 13th, 2016. I flew up from Orange County from his office. Um, we left in, on the helicopter. We landed in L.A., got in the limo. It's like a four-block drive in, in the limo from this office building to Staples Center. And as we come around the bend and, and start approaching Staples, he sees, like, everything mm -hmm. going on in front of Staples, mm -hmm. the huge, you know, gigantic murals of him that are hanging from the arena. Every single fan's wearing a Kobe jersey. Everybody's got a sign. You know, there's so much anticipation. The big, um, you know, the big board outside the arena has got, um, you know, we love you Kobe on it, the whole thing. And I'm in the back seat and I'm trying to get shots of him just sort of approaching the arena. And as we make that turn, I remember he just, he didn't even, he didn't even turn around. He just says, he said, Hey man, not right now. I got to take all this in. Wow. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which he did. And he was so, he was just so taken back by mm. it. It was, it was wonderful to see that. That's lovely. That's lovely to think about. God, I can't imagine what that must've been like for him. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love hearing that. Thank you for sharing that. That's special. That's for me now. I'm taking that with me. <laughs> um, you've you've seen him with his family you've seen him with the kids with his wife 
what was he like with the family? How did it change? You know, preparation Kobe, playing Kobe, post-game Kobe. You've seen all the different versions. How different was he with his family versus, you know, at the arena? Well, I got to see him as a, as a teenager. You know, that's when I met him. He was 19 years old. He was just a kid right out of high school coming into this man's world of the NBA. And I, I literally watched him grow up in the game um, from this wild-eyed rookie teenager until, you know, they they won a couple of championships. And he and Shaq, you know, won the, won the first three, right, together. And he met Vanessa. And I started to see him mature as, as a man, right, because he's, like, in his early 20s at this point. Um, he's still obsessed with the game you know he's still him um but something really changed i think when when he had natalia he and vanessa had natalia the first one then Gigi came along and you know you'd see it was interesting because vanessa would wait outside the locker room they'd set up a couple of chairs for her and kobe's always notoriously the last one to leave the building Mm -hmm. You know, he'd have to do press interviews, then he'd have to get treatment, and he just took his time. And many, many, many times she would wait for him with the girls, and they were little Mm. then. And uh, there was like an unwritten rule with Kobe, with us in the media, that, you know, he'd come out of the locker room, and then there was a doorway with a threshold, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, And as soon as he crossed that threshold with the girls and with Vanessa... We left him alone, right? Right, because right. he went from he like yes. it's almost like Superman's putting the cape away, right? Right. right. He went from being the Black Mamba mm-hmm. to now he's Daddy, right? And we're not bothering yes. him the whole rest of the walk out of the arena. At least I didn't. Um, and most most media members really respected that. And you could, but you could see it. You mm. could you could physically see him like put the Mamba away. <laughs> And pick up the two girls, give Vanessa a kiss, and 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 he's you know dad, and he's a husband, and off he goes. And it, it was a wonderful thing to see, it, and that maturation because I, I literally saw it happen That's before so awesome. my eyes. That's really cool. Uh, the, these players, NBA players, they crash into photographers. It seems like every game they go crash careening out of bounds. They smash into some photographer. Have you ever had someone barrel into you and just absolutely lay you out? Is there an NBA player that's really just decked Andrew Bernstein? <laughs> it almost happens. It happens almost nightly. Honestly, um, we are really in the line of fire right yes. there. You know they're, where I sit. And they're TV huge. Guys yeah, they're gigantic. And it's what's unbelievable is how incredibly uh, agile they are, right. you know, and how they're, they can control their bodies even in, in midair coming in for a dunk or block shot. Um, the guy that comes to mind, of course, first and foremost for me is Shaq, who literally <laughs> laid me out three times. Um, and our, <laughs> our protocol, just so you understand, us being the photographers or videographers, is that we have to protect them, yeah, right? Right. We have to take the hit as yes. a, as best we can, protecting them from hurting themselves on us or on the gear. Right. Nobody cares about us, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, but the last thing we ever want is them to get hurt because, you know, they cut their head on, you know, which Charles Barkley actually did once uh, on a lens shade or a camera, whatever it happens to be. Um, so it was, it was a crazy situation. I remember Shaq, uh, it was, it was a playoff game and, you know, 
for how big and gigantic Shaq and ferocious Shaq was, he was incredibly nimble. Mm. I mean, always in control of his body. You very I don't even think I can remember one time that Shaq ever got hammered and he ended up on the floor. Right. Right. And he'd go up and at least three guys, four guys would yes. be hanging on him. Absolutely. And he'd dunk on him. <laughs> Anyway, he, it was some kind of rebound situation or something where he got a little bit, he was up in the air and he got a little bit undercut. And I just remember it happening. And I just remember him coming towards me at, it's off balance and he couldn't stop himself. And well, only four feet away from them, you know, it's like <laughs> right there. Um, and I just, I knew it was coming and I just balled up <laughs> and boom, he got me before I was able to really prepare myself. And I literally splat. I mean, we were <laughs> literally face to face, and I was I was heaving. I was like, <gasps> like this. I had like a, I had a lens embedded in my chest. I couldn't I couldn't get my air back. <laughs> and he looks at me. And we're two three inches apart from each other. He goes, "Is that you, man?" And I'm like, "Yeah, man. Get the you know what off me, man. Get off me." And Neil, I swear, he said this. He looks at me right in the eye. He goes. Give it a minute, man. We're on national TV. <laughs> what a great story. <laughs> and to this day, we still laugh about it because he he's just always conscious of like, you know, himself and the way he looks and, and being, you know, being a moment, being funny. I don't know what, uh, but uh, literally almost killed me. So I love at least we made story. it. We made it on SportsCenter. I love a good story. I love it when the story's got like a not long, but like you, that you take your time with the setup and then it buttons <laughs> with like a nice little line. You're so good at that stuff. I really appreciate hearing you tell stories. It's a lot of fun. Thank you so much again for coming on the show. Uh, do you need a really bad assistant who sits next to you and watches the game and goes, holy shit, did you see that? Or like yells at the Lakers and like celebrates the Lakers or yells at the, the team that the Lakers are playing. Do you need a buddy who offers almost nothing to your job but just would really appreciate sitting by you at games i don't know you know anybody like that? I, I have some resumes um, to send over yeah unfortunately you know we have to be completely silent during well, the games i mean i i was at a listen. game this is true there's another everyone i get this off from my dad and i appreciate you telling me about yeah. my storytelling yes because my dad would always lead off every story have i told you this one before <laughs> you know and of course he had like yeah, 19 yeah, yeah. times of you course. know but there was there was a time in portland we were at the old coliseum it was a playoff game and um this photographer who i knew who's worked for i think the oregonian or one of the papers um was a very vocal guy. Let's just leave it at that. And he is riding the ref. And it, it could have been Earl Strom, as I remember, but he's riding the ref the whole game. Ah, that was a terrible call. Why are you doing that? And the ref is like shooing him away until finally the ref literally stopped the game. He did one of these, stopped the game, points at the guy. He goes, this guy out, right? <laughs> and I look up and the guy looks up and then he looks, the ref looked at the security, goes, yeah, this guy out. <laughs> So they literally picked the guy up with his gear and brought him uh, back to the arena. Amazing. <laughs> so before you come to a game, Neil, just got to warn you, you got to kind of zip it up oh, there, buddy, because you can't be yelling at anybody. That's my problem. I can't button that up. I got to be what I am, sir. And I, <laughs> you know, I hear you talking about that story, and I think about Robin, what is it, Ficker? You know that guy that used to yeah. be the fan behind the uh, bench sure, at the Bullets sure, games that would sure. yell at the other team? Uh, famous NBA fan. I think if I had the money, if I was rich, if I wasn't poor, 
I would be a famous NBA fan. I'd be courtside. I'd work hard at making the players laugh. I would be a <laughs> ferocious defender of the Lakers. Obviously, I'm the, the best Lakers fan, not the biggest, but the best Lakers fan. Uh, I just think I'd be someone that NBA uh, fans knew about because they'd be like, oh, yeah, that guy at all the Lakers games. The problem is I just don't have the money. That's the only thing that keeps me from NBA <laughs> fandom superstardom is the money. That's it. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to another I'm gonna find another sports photographer that appreciates my loud mouth and is willing to let me sit courtside. <laughs> I love it, uh, Andrew. That's I great. see the clock is winding down on us. It's almost time for America's favorite podcast segment. It's called More Important, Mr. Bernstein. I'm about to ask you a series of questions, all of which these your answers to all of these questions will define who you are as a man on this planet. They're all far more important than anything we've talked to up until this moment. Are you ready for more important? I am ready, my friend. Here we Hit go. me. What is your favorite beverage? Got to be Dr. Pepper. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> Dr. Pepper, give me an oh, hell yeah here. Here we go. Oh, oh hell yeah. Uh, Andrew, that is Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's really not. It's Stone Cold E.T. I'm sorry. Stone Cold E.T. I don't want to go into it. It's a long story, but it's a very funny thing. You getting a Stone Cold E.T. here at the finish line is fantastic. All right, here's the next question. Do you have – who is your favorite sports photographer? You cannot say yourself. Who is your favorite sports photographer? That's got to be the great John McDonough. Um, long time, long time oh, lead basketball photographer, especially for Sports Illustrated, but all around an amazing portrait photographer, action photographer, feature photographer. Um, somebody I always wanted to be, and used to sit next to me at games, and um, I would just be astounded when I saw Sports Illustrated, and, and mm. you know, I'm literally sitting next to him. I don't even remember when that play happened, much less took a photo of it. And he and I would always laugh about that. That's amazing. Uh, do you? Is there a singular picture that you're je- like super jealous of? Either because you were there and you didn't get it, or you didn't see, you didn't even know the moment was taking place, or because you look at the picture and you just love it so much that you wish it had come from your camera. Well, I have to go with the former of that question because um, one of the real um, black marks on my photography career was that I missed the great Vince Carter dunk over the French guy. Oh, oh no. And there's, we can go into all other podcasts of that about how that happened. But (laughs) bottom line is I missed the picture. And this guy right next to me was, I believe was an AP photographer, got it. And uh, it was, you know, it's probably, Probably one of or top one or two greatest dunk photos of all time. Oh my god! So that's stuck in my craw for, well, the last twenty three years I would say. Uh, oh, I can't <laughs> imagine. That's uh, that moment is in the first Bell Hall of Fame as well. We've done an episode on that dunk of death. Yeah, a, a fantastic mm-hmm. moment. That's uh, I could listen to you tell stories about the shots you didn't get forever yeah. uh, just one yeah. of the many things that i would love hearing you talk about that's fantastic okay here's the next question what's your favorite sports movie you know i probably have to go as cliche as it, as it is i probably have to go with rocky it was it's just a such a great, great movie answer. at the time and yes. it's still still yes. great i mean yes. you can watch rocky now i mean you know of course 1a slap shot 1b natural yes. you know there's so many of them but rocky was just and and to know Stallone's story at the time, yes. and and have him recant it now, you know, in his in his old age, about you know how he just risked everything, and, and but wouldn't take no for an answer. Yeah. Um, 
And it was a beautiful story. The story it's itself was great. So it's yeah, it's almost sure. less sports and more movie. Like it's like really cinema. Yeah. And not to just take anything away from other sports movies, but it's it's just a fantastic work. A great answer. Do you have a favorite sports documentary? Ooh, you know, I'm, I'm watching the David Beckham documentary mm. right now, which yes. I think is fantastic. It's really, really good. Um, we have one more episode to watch. I just finished watching the, uh, the I believe it was a three-part Oscar De La Hoya mm-hmm. documentary that he did, um, that he produced about himself, which was unbelievably raw and, and mm. um, open and honest and tough to watch at some points. Mm. Um very, very, very well done. I have um, to watch that. Yeah. I mean, look, every 30 for 30 is unbelievable. I mean, if you count The Last Dance as a whole, as, yeah, right. what was it, 10 or 12 I mean, episodes? Um, you know, I was there for almost everything that was shot in that film, in that documentary. And, and the fact that, you know, how ESPN released it at the beginning of the pandemic mm-hmm. and and what it meant to us as a society and, and all of us who were there who had toiled away and didn't think that any of that footage would ever make it, you know, onto a screen. Um, all my friends shot that, so it was very, very gratifying to see. Do you have a favorite dunk? Do you have a favorite dunk of all time? I just saw a dunk that I shot of um, Blake Griffin over some dude from Detroit. Um, somebody posted something on Instagram the other day, and I'm like, well, I got to look that up. And that that was a ridiculous. I mean, almost every Blake dunk was ridiculous. Yeah, he had that one over Kendrick Perkins. Remember uh-huh, that yeah, one? Of course. Um, you know, his, of course, his, you know, dunk contest, dunk over the car. That was great. Um, but the young Kobe, I got to go with the young Kobe over MJ. I mean, I love MJ. You know, not, <laughs> you know, but. The young Kobe was like a dunk machine. Yeah. I mean, this kid, if I didn't come, I, I think I maybe told you this last time. If I didn't come home with four or five dunk shots that were really good <laughs> ones every game, it was like a disappointment. Yeah, I bet. Look, if I had to pick one dunk picture that I shot, mm-hmm. um, it would probably be the one, the come fly with me dunk, yeah, the yeah, one yeah, of yeah, Michael yeah, yeah. Yeah. from, you know, an innocuous Hall of Fame yes. preseason yes. game in Springfield, Massachusetts. I love that. But that, that dunk took on sort of a life of its own yes. uh, in terms of content and now, you know, looking back on it. And, of course, him taking off from the free, free throw line in, yes. what, the 88 dunk contest? Yes. Um, that's up there, too. Is, dunk, is, is shooting a dunk contest like cheating? Is it like cheating because the other dudes aren't there? Do you consider that cheating? Is that like... You know, playing the Lakers, playing those uh, Lake Show Lakers when Shaq was injured. Does it is does it feel less than because there's nobody else on court, and so you're bound to get a better picture? It's the opposite, quite frankly, because wow. you have to keep in mind I I can only shoot one picture every right. four seconds. Right, you okay, said so that I'm last hooked, episode. So I'm hooked into this system, the strobe system, big flash units. Yes. That when I push the trigger button, these flashes go off. Right. Boom. But it takes them four seconds to recycle back up. So I can't it's shoot over. a motor drive sequence. Right, right. So it's very, very challenging to shoot a dunk contest because you don't know what the guy's going to do. Right. You know, you don't know if he's going to whatever. Fascinating. Um, 
that, you know, that gives me blowing a, out candles and jumping over each yeah, other. And, you know, <laughs> that gives me a, a brand new perspective on dunk contest photography. Something I've learned here, and you you did you mentioned that on the last episode that you get to take one shot and you give four seconds to get that recharge on the flash. It it really reframes sports photography and specifically dunk contest photography in a meaningful mm-hmm. way. I appreciate that. Okay, here's yeah. the last question. In more important, I I hate to I I can't believe I have to ask the great Andrew Bernstein this question, but listen, it's the last question of more important here we go name something that really kicks ass is there any what can you name it can be anything i don't want to tell you how to answer this question but you got to answer <laughs> is there something that really kicks ass in my world it's being in the pit of the springsteen concert oh. that kicks ass more than <laughs> that it's yeah. it's a it's a religious spiritual oh, experience that unless you're you know you've experienced it like i have you know they just I saw my 80th show on this tour Ugh. going back to 1978. And, uh, you know, Bruce had to take a little hiatus because of a health issue, but he's coming back. Ugh. So I'm going to hit 100 shows, God oh willing, God, before amazing. the end of this tour. What a blessing. But, but it, it's it's beyond um, any sporting event. You know, even Kirk Gibson home, home run or Kobe's game winner in the finals or whatever it is. God bless those guys. But. To be there in the pit, you know, and sometimes, you know, I'm with the great Pat Riley and his wife, Chris. We love to see Bruce together or I'm with my buddies or whatever. And it's just an incredible experience. And that totally kicks ass. Uh, Mr. Bernstein, thank you so much for coming on the show. Again, you said you would. You said you'd come back and then you did. It means a lot to me and to the listeners of this show. I want to thank you. And the most prestigious way I can do that is to name you. The official photography expert of the First Battle Hall of Fame podcast. Oh, my God. You must be overwhelmed. Take a minute. Gather yourself. How do you feel? Yeah, I am overwhelmed, buddy. Um, I didn't hear a lot of clapping there, but I'm sure you'll insert that, you know, post-production. Um, no, it, look, you and I have had two great conversations, yes. and it just, you know, it's an open Open door anytime oh, you want me to come back. I will. If there's a significant it. moment in Laker history you want to talk about. Oh, we're definitely doing it. Oh, my God. This is yeah, great. we should do it. And uh, and thank you for being a great fan of my work, but also Huge of what fan. I'm doing at Legends of Sport because yes. that's, you know, the sort of the yin and the yang of my life right now. And uh, I appreciate you always, you know, being in my corner for that. Journey to the Ring, uh, The Mama Mentality, How I Play, both your books. Check them out if you haven't. The Legend of Sport podcast you got to start listening is there any other way people can follow you what can you plug what are you working on yeah i mean everybody goes you know can go to instagram of course uh, my instagram is at adb photo inc uh, and at legends of sport and then um of course our youtube channel we're trying to build up our subscription on that the podcast is uh it's called legends of sport on on youtube and tiktok but also um the podcast can be found anywhere. Our home base is iHeart, but you can get it any place. Uh, Legends of Sport there. And, um, you know, just keep watching NBA.com and you'll see my photos pop up every once in a while. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the two books, of course. And I, I do want to tell you, Neil, I, I think you've heard this, but maybe you haven't, that I'm working on a, a book right now with Legends of Sport. We as a group with Vanessa Bryant, Kobe's widow. I didn't know that. Yeah, about um, the book is going to highlight uh, murals that she handpicks mm, throughout yes. the world right. that we are going to uh, put into a book form. Amazing. So as of right now, there's about 640 or 50 murals mm. all over the world. 
um, that we're aware of, and she's gonna sit. We're gonna sit down with her, and she's gonna Amazing. pick out the ones she wants highlighted. Amazing. And that book will come out. Um, I think it'll come out at some point early in 2025. Ugh. So super excited about collaborating Can't with wait. her on that. Can't wait. Uh, well, consider me a, a purchaser. Consider consider that book sitting on my bookshelf right over there. Uh, Mr. <laughs> Andrew you. Bernstein, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks, Neil. And listen, keep rooting on those Lakers, man. The it's going to be a good season. I think so, too. <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> okay. That's it. That's the show. My thanks to Mr. Andrew Bernstein. Makes no sense why he keeps coming back on the show. That's an NBA legend. Do you hear what I'm saying? He's more rare than most of the players. My thanks to Mr. Andrew Bernstein. Support him and his work. We're all we got. Rob Babarucci is my partner and my editor. Jessica Seng is my producer. EJ Cabasal produces as well. And EJ and Jessica wrote our intro today. Thank them for that. Rhythm J, my guy, makes all the beats for the pod. David Estramski's DA Part 2 is our producer of Ball's Life. My thanks to the team there. Check out Ball's Life Podcast Network and follow Ball's Life on all platforms at Ball's Life. Rate and review us if you would, please. That would be a real holiday gift to us here at the show. And please come back next week for more First Ballot. Sports Holiday SMR. The show keeps growing.